Well, it's good to be back with you. I missed you guys last week when I was out of town, and every time I travel, I'm reminded just how much I miss being with you. So it's so great to be back here today. And for those of you who are brand new and don't know, my name is Adam. And for those of you who do know, it's still Adam, even though you may have other names you choose to call me from time to time. At the point, we have been for almost 13 years gathering together as a church. In fact, this upcoming week, we celebrate our birthday and our anniversary of being a church together. And for those of you who've been here over the years, we have gathered in all kinds of places. In parks like this one, in bars across the city, we've gathered in multiple movie theaters, in the building we're in now, we've gathered in parking lots, we've even gathered together in Emily's tiny living room for a season of COVID when we couldn't actually be together in person. We as a church have always been a church that is about being in the community and for the community. And so as I was thinking about what we should talk about today in this setting, and to celebrate our birthday as a church, I wanted to talk about something that I believe is essential to who we are as the point. If you want the play on words, which I did not create, but I get to just run with like any good dad joke, what's the point? Well, it's this here. Uh, in your little bulletins or handouts, there's some scripture you're welcome to follow along as I read Luke chapter 10. This is what we are all about. Beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The idea of asking questions in church isn't new. Jesus was asked questions, but his were a trap. And when Jesus was asked questions as a trap or a test, he almost always answered them in a way that people were not expecting. Here's what happens. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? See, when a lawyer comes asking Jesus, what is the thing you must do to inherit eternal life? He's asking, what is the most important law, the thing we really have to focus on all the time? And Jesus turns it back to him. Well, what does the law say? You know. So the guy answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. I, I like this story here because this guy comes to test Jesus and Jesus turns it back on him. Well, what do you think is the most important thing? And he quotes from Deuteronomy that we're to love the Lord with all of who we are and then in turn to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, well done. And in fact, if you remember elsewhere in scripture, Jesus is asked what is the most important law and he responds with this very same scripture. And so this guy is now encouraged by Jesus. He has all the answers. He knows what's right, what must be done to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, go and love God and love your neighbor, and that'll be good enough. But he, that is this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Anybody in here have kids? or nieces or nephews, kids have the darndest way of trying to twist everything just slightly to get out of whatever you told them to do. If there is a loophole to be found, they will find it. I think every one of us is naturally born a really good lawyer. 
This guy, desiring to get out of loving God with all his heart and loving his neighbor, decides to put it back on Jesus one more time. Well, if what I need to do is love my neighbor, well, who is my neighbor? Can we put some qualifications on who I need to love? Do I have to love all people or just the really lovable ones? Do I have to love those I agree with or just the ones that seem to, you know, really be fun to be around? Can I get away with not loving those that I don't really like because they're not my neighbor? And so Jesus, in classic Jesus form, doesn't actually answer the question with an answer, but with a story, a story that is not altogether the most clear, but yet says everything that needs to be said. Jesus, he says this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus asks a question of his own. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Perhaps you've heard this story a dozen times or so. Maybe it's brand new. Jesus has asked this question who is my neighbor that I need to love? And he tells a story that, if you're really familiar with it, may not be as offensive. His response to the question, who do I need to love, is, well, let me tell you about a man who falls among robbers. Sometimes when we read these stories of Jesus, it's easy to see ourselves in the story. Perhaps when you hear Jesus share this story, you feel like the man who has been uh, unfortunately robbed and beaten by those who were coming against him. Maybe you feel left for dead on the side of the road saying, who will love me? How can I love my neighbor when I myself am worn out and beat up and am slowly dying? Maybe you hear this story and you hear instead the Levite or the priest. You see, the priest, it was their responsibility to be people of mercy to care for those who were hurt and who were broken. Levites were considered the holy tribe of Israel, the one who was responsible for all things related to the temple and the temple maintenance. Everything God was doing for his people were supposed to be Levites. But the law said that to touch somebody who was bleeding or who was dying could make you ceremonially unclean which would mean for a, a temporary season they would not be allowed to do their priestly duties and to serve in the temple. For a short season, they would have to step away from the ministry if they were to be there to care for him. 
Perhaps you hear the story and this resonates with you. Many times those around you need your love, but you're just too busy. You know the difficulty. If I stop to care for them, it's going to really hurt because they're going to find a way to hurt me, to steal from me, to rob me in return. I can't take time right now to love my neighbors. Sometimes it's not even with malicious intent. We simply don't know our neighbors and we don't see them hurting and broken on the side of the road. So perhaps as you hear this story of Jesus, what you hear is him saying, don't be like these religious people who are too busy to love others. But then Jesus gives the answer of who comes to the rescue. A Samaritan. Now, if you don't know much about Jewish culture, Samaritans were the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. You see, when the Jewish people were taken into exile, some were left behind in Samaria and forced to intermarry with other people, other foreigners who were brought in. And this intermarrying for the the real Jew was something that was absolutely horrendous because they saw it as a giving up and a watering down of their faith. So to look at a Samaritan for them would have been to look at one who claimed to have it all together and to be the people of God, but in turn was actually a hypocrite, one who had run from God and was not doing the right thing, one who was wildly offensive to any good Jewish person at the day. So Jesus tells his story in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The religious people are not the ones who come to his rescue, but a Samaritan. In their eyes, I imagine the offense when he said this. A Samaritan comes by and suddenly all of their, their defenses are raised. Oh no, nothing good comes from a Samaritan. But this man sees him and has compassion. He binds up his wounds, he dresses them, and he takes them to an inn where he can be cared for. He says to the innkeeper, here's a few days worth of pay, whatever he needs, provide. And if I come back and it costs more, I'll give it at that time. And Jesus doesn't explain this parable. He doesn't explain the story. He simply says, which of these was the neighbor? And the lawyer answers, as I think any one of us would, the one who had mercy, obviously. The one who should not have, for any practical purpose, loved their neighbor, but chose to anyway. That's clearly the one who was doing the right thing. Sometimes we can hear this story, and we can see in it a whole lot of reasons why you and I fail. Well, just be more like the Good Samaritan Just do more of the right thing, whatever the cost. And we can look at all the sacrifice we give and all the the love we pour out. And I just don't know what else to give. Am I doing enough? Am I caring enough? Recently, I heard someone talking about this very text. And they said something I hadn't considered before. Maybe when we hear this story of Jesus... We don't see ourselves as the one beaten on the side of the road or as the religious one who's too busy to help or even as the one who comes to the rescue. Maybe you see yourself as the robber. You see the hurt you've inflicted on other people, the ways that you've gone out of your way to not love them but actually cause them pain because they deserved it or they hurt you first. But what I love about this text And why I wanted to share it today is because Jesus is not giving you and me a list of how we need to love better. 
That's not the purpose here. See, we'll go back to the question at hand. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you know much of Scripture at all, you know that none of us can inherit eternal life. Not today, tomorrow, not ever. None of us can do the right things enough to be right with God. So from the beginning, this lawyer's question is misguided. What must you do to inherit eternal life? Be perfect in every way. So when Jesus tells this story, he says, the one who showed mercy... That's the neighbor. Go and do likewise. Jesus is not talking about how you and I need to get it right to be perfect, to be with God. He's not painting this picture that says, well, if only you love better, then everything will be okay. In fact, the very fact that this is titled the parable of the good Samaritan should tell us a lot about what Jesus is really saying here. You see, elsewhere, another guy comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the law perfectly. And the guy says, I've done that. And the same guy in the questioning says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. See, the story here is not about you and me being beaten on the side of the road. It's not about you and me being too busy to love our neighbor. It's not even about you and me doing the right thing often enough to love our neighbors well. In answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The story Jesus tells is about him, the one who is good, who is perfect, who loves wholly, who keeps all the law and loves God fully and loves his neighbor as himself. In fact, he would go on to take that command a step further with his disciples on the night before he dies. In the Gospel of John, it says he says to them, Love one another as I have loved you. This is my command for you. This good Samaritan, the one who was rejected and despised and lowly in the eyes of the people, as the one who comes to our rescue with mercy and with grace and with kindness, who binds up all of our wounds, who heals all of our hurt, and who invites us as those who've received healing to let it pour out on those around us as well. Not as an obligation to get it all right and be perfect, but as a cup that overflows to let him first come and heal so that we too can be healing for others. For the last 13 years, we at the point have always aimed to connect the disconnected. Those who feel beat up and broken, too busy for God, rejected by those who were religious, those who think they are unlovable, those who are lost and confused and don't have all the answers. That's why we say, come as you are, because God's not expecting you to fix your own wounds or heal your own hurt. He's inviting you to be loved. And we as a church believe that it is our responsibility not to go and love this city with a love they've never seen before. It is our responsibility to look to the one who heals every wound, to connect with Jesus, the one who cares more deeply about you and me than we could ever imagine, this good Samaritan who provides everything for us. And there in that place of being loved, exactly as you are. 
we are free to receive so much more than we've ever known we could have. A love that conquers even death. A love that will go to the ends of the earth and even to hell to say, this is how much I love you. And only there in that love, having been healed by this good Samaritan, are we then able to go and to love our community, to serve our neighbor, to be a light in dark places, to bring healing to those who are hurting, to comfort those who are grieving only as we see the love God has for us. Are we then able to go and love our neighbors as he has loved us? Today, in all that you have in store and all that God has planned for you and all the things you're doing, it's quite possible you will, you will come upon people who are broken and hurting. It's quite possible you will be those very people today. And whether you're seeing them or feeling it or walking by, whatever today may hold, may you know this. Jesus loves you fully. And from that love, he invites you to pour out of yourself as he has poured out to you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that when asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is you. We don't need to be good enough or do the right things or love well enough. God, you have first loved us. We know your love for while we were sinners, you gave your life for us. God, like a Samaritan, one rejected and despised and hated by all, you were rejected and hated for our sake. For those of us who are trapped in the guilt of the way that we have hurt others, like the robbers on the side of the road, those we've left for dead, may you bring to us the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that comes from your love. For those of us who are wounded and hurting and dying slowly, wondering who will notice, will you bind up our wounds and comfort us in our grief? And God, for those of us who love you and are so busy chasing after you that we forget to love our neighbor, would you help us to slow down, to see those in need of your grace, to look to your cross and all that you give, and God, would we be filled with mercy as you are for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now normally, every Sunday morning, we collect an offering. Uh, we do not have uh, black boxes in the back of the church building today for you to place an offering in. But or a popcorn bucket. We don't have that either. Uh, but we do have a little wooden box back there that Michelle has. She'll be standing near it. She won't be watching to see what you put in it. Don't worry. But uh, it'll be back there by her. If you're somebody who prefers to give and came prepared to give today, you like to do that with cash or check, you can do so in that little box. If you prefer to give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Uh, now, normally we'd have some announcements in a video, but there's no screen and video projection here. So a uh, couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, coming up next Sunday, immediately after church, we're going to have our confirmation kickoff. Confirmation is an opportunity for junior high and high school students to really dive deep into what is it that we believe and why does that matter. 
And so if you're somebody who's in junior high or high school, or maybe you're in college or you're 48, I don't really care, but you're going, I'd really love to just dive into the basics of what our faith looks like. Uh, You're welcome to join us next Sunday immediately after church, not here, but in the points building, uh, in what we call the tap room, that room upstairs that looks like you should have some taps there, and maybe someday we will. I'll keep saying it until it happens. Um, Not for the junior hires, though, okay? Let me clarify in case anyone's listening. Um, But that is happening next Sunday from noon to one. So if you have high schoolers or junior hires, please plan on joining us. It'll be a really wonderful introduction to what's coming so you can know, is this the thing I want to commit to for the, the rest of the school year and what does that look like? Also coming up in just a couple of weeks, anybody have it where you look at the calendar and suddenly you realize, oh no, things are happening way sooner than I thought they were? Anybody know we're halfway through August already? Um, Just a little aside, every year one of the things we as a church do to connect with our community and to love people is we go to the Big Kahuna Wing Festival and we make a bunch of chicken wings and we just talk to people and it's a wonderful time. And uh, that's Labor Day weekend every year. And Emily and I this week sat down to talk about what's coming up and said, oh no, that's in two weeks. And we have a lot of need for volunteers because we literally spend about 10 or 12 hours handing out chicken wings in the hot sun all day long. Uh, A couple years ago when we had to make our own wings, we made over 500 pounds of wings on the grill that day, and it was exhausting. Thankfully now they fry them, we sauce them, and then we just get to talk to people. So if you like chicken wings, if you like talking to people, if you're even willing to tolerate talking to people, and you are interested in serving, we need volunteers to help set that up on Sunday morning, volunteers to take a couple different shifts throughout the day to be there just to say hello, hand out wings, try some wings yourself, and have a good time. If that's something you're interested, you can find out more at thepointknox.com by clicking on the events tab, and we'd love to have you join us there. Now with that, Adam's going to come on up, and uh, every week we welcome your questions, and I will do my best to respond. This week I'm going to take one out, uh, I'm going to take a page out of your book, and all the hard questions I'm just going to defer to you, okay? Please no. The on switch is Chris, he just has to decide you need it. Can you hear me? All right, a couple of really good questions this week. The first is, please juxtapose Leviticus 19.28 with Revelation 19.16. Isn't that a tattoo? Did you look those up? My initial guess would be that the first one in Leviticus is about not marking yourselves yes. right? or tattooing yourselves, as some translations say. Yes. And my guess is the Revelation one is regarding... Uh, how Jesus has our names written on his thigh, or in another place it says his hand, I think. That's exactly right. Yeah, the one yeah. in Revelation is specific to thigh, but yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. excellent. Um, well, two separate things. Uh, Leviticus is a book of laws uh, that are written contextually, and some of them apply to us today, and some of them do not, and there's a long list of reasons for why we can say what does and doesn't. But to this one specifically, it was never actually about tattoos as you and I know them. It was a practice of worshiping uh, pagan gods in which they would cut themselves and mark themselves uh, through all kinds of physical bodily harm. Uh, and so the, the, what's sometimes translated as tattoos is better translated, do not mark yourself uh, as they do. Uh, and so if your tattoos are in worship of other gods, I would, I would shy away from it. Um, but also I think it's fun that our body is a temple and the temple is filled with artwork. So you, you can probably have tattoos that are 
glorifying of God and are just fine too. And in Revelation, when Jesus has our names tattooed on his thigh, I don't know if he literally has our names on his thigh, because uh, that'd be a lot of names, and I don't think his thigh is that big. Uh, but uh, it implies the thigh was a place where you would awkwardly put your hand when you're making a promise and an oath. And so our names being on his thigh is that like we are there a part of the promise and sealed with what he's done. Yeah. Absolutely. This one has been inadvertently skipped for two weeks, so... I'll take the blame for that. It's a great question, so it was accidental, but it says, Proverbs speaks a lot about choosing friends, choosing godly friends. Why then would Jesus choose Judas, knowing what was to come? There is a real paradox in which who we're around can shape who we become. And so we do have to be careful in choosing friends that we choose people who will help us grow especially hurt and broken people, as every one of us can be at times. Uh, I believe that hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. And so if you're around people who are broken and wounded, who have not found healing or are not seeking healing, they can lead you in some really destructive ways. As an example, if you are a recovering addict, it's probably not a good idea in your early stages of recovery to be surrounded by a bunch of active addicts that may not help you stay clean and sober. Um, but even emotionally, people who don't have emotional boundaries. And, and so there's this weird paradox of, on the one hand, we need to be careful who we hang around. On the other hand, Jesus loves every one of us and invites healing to all of us. And Jesus did himself choose Judas, knowing in advance that Judas would betray him. And so I think that it is possible there are times God will lead you to befriend and to love people who will hurt you. And you may know they're going to hurt you and you still need to love them. And that's incredibly difficult, which is why you should also have people around you who build you up and strengthen you and encourage you to keep doing what God's called you to do. And there's some benefit to us, right? This betrayal of Judas at crucifixion turns out pretty well for us. What well, do you know? Right? We've kind of betrayed him too, but yeah. he still loves us. Yeah, no doubt. And by kind of, I mean definitely. Yeah. Next question says, true or false, some people need Jesus more than others. I need Jesus a lot. Uh, definitely false. We all need him the same, but I would say if anybody needed him more than others, it would be me. Uh, I am most certainly the biggest sinner in the room, I promise. And since we're outside, that's a really big room. Yeah. Paul said, chief sinners I am, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Although I do like to joke, chief of sinners though I am, Adam is certainly worse than me. But. True story. Yeah. Amber's going to nod along in the back. Yeah. <laughs> My wife would disagree. <laughs> I think the last question that came in, and it is a one-word question, it says, homosexuality question mark. So I'm not sure exactly the intent of the question, but that's, that's the last question. I would love to talk with you more because that is a, a word with a question mark. <laughs> homosexuality exists. Uh, are you asking my opinion of it? Are you asking about the genetics of it? Are you asking what we do with it? Are, what are you curious about? I would love to talk with you about all of that more. Um, either in person, anytime, I'll buy you coffee a hundred times a week if that's what it takes, let's do this. Or we can grab a drink or lunch, um, or you can text in more anonymously a specific question that you have regarding homosexuality. I'll gladly respond anytime. And you said that was the last one? I think that's the last question, yeah. Well, I've been talking a lot in the hopes of postponing this. But... I'm going to give you guys the benediction and the blessing that I do every single week. And uh, then I also want to ask after uh, we pie me in the face, uh, 
Um, if some of you are available to help us clean up, uh, the reason we did breakfast instead of lunch like we did last year is there's another group coming in at noon to use this space. And so to be good neighbors to them, we want to make sure we leave it clean, we put stuff away. A big thank you to Pat and Leona for all the food and breakfast this morning. And a really big thank you to the like 15 volunteers who helped us move stuff from the church here and hopefully load us up, take it back. So if after I get a pie in the face, you want to take a few moments to help us load all the chairs up and tables and things back in trucks and clean up, that would be super helpful. But before the pie that I keep prolonging, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make us... May he, Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.